Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. How have you been entertaining yourself during quarantine? Are you still quarantined? Because some states are opening up. I am in Maryland and we have no plans to open up anytime soon. I think this is week six. It could be week seven of quarantine. It all runs together. I've been sticking to the same schedule. I write six days a week, including weekends. I take Wednesdays off to do the podcast. I've also been doing random things. I dyed my hair pink. If you saw it when it was blonde, it was like three or four shades of blonde. Now it's three or four shades of pink. I've also been retouching up my roots because it's been like six or seven weeks since we've been on lockdown. So I've been bleaching my roots. And I don't know if you've ever bleached your hair, but it does change your curl pattern. But I've been opalexing my hair every two weeks, which is the bestest, smartest, most amazing thing that happened. And this is not an ad. I'm not getting paid. But Opalex changes lives. Opalex number three, you can order it on Amazon. But my hair was looking like a little less bouncy. But Opalex like restored everything to its multifaceted, multinumeric, alphabetic, whatever those hair numbers are. It restored everything to the way that it's supposed to be. Like it's not perfect. It's still like, you know, bleached hair. It has some droop because of the bleach, but it bounces again. It's really cute. I was like, look at that. I ordered a step. I started doing those beach body workouts with Shanti. Can I be honest with you? I'm regularly doing the workouts. It's a six-week workout program. I'm doing Transform 20. I am still on week one of workouts, even though it's been three weeks, because Shanti is trying to kill me. Like the first time I did it, I thought I was going to die. And I still die a little each day every time I do it, but I die a little bit less. I don't weigh myself every day anymore. And I haven't put on real clothes. All I wear is workout clothes. I have my regular workout clothes to actually sweat in. And then I have my fancy workout clothes to lounge around in because that's my life. That might be everybody's life. I told you how I had to buy like a bunch of tights. Because I came here with like, you know, luggage to be here for two weeks. And then I've been trapped since March 8th, I think. But that's it. I wish I had more to share, but you know, the world is closed. So, womp womp. Right when I was setting up to do this, I had to relaunch GarageBand, which is what I record the podcast in. And so I was scrolling on my phone and I saw that there's this kerfluffle. I knew, I don't know whether to say it's about Katie Couric or about Denzel. I guess it's Katie Couric. Katie Couric did this interview on a podcast and she talked about how Denzel Washington made her uncomfortable at some point in 2004. I want to play you the clip of what she said so you can hear exactly how Miss Millie she sounds. I had a very uncomfortable interview once with Denzel Washington about the man, the remake of the Manchurian Candidate. And I think he totally misconstrued a question I asked and kind of jumped all over me. And it was so uncomfortable. So let me read you what the question that she asked was. 
I'm not sure what he said that was political, but she was asking him. She says, Denzel, are you, do you feel that some people say Hollywood folks should just stick to acting? So essentially, she's asking a grown ass black man, do you think that you should stick to acting instead of being political? And Denzel pushes back. He says, I don't know what Hollywood folks are, first of all. That first of all, from a black person, should have been her cue to pull back. Black people say, first of all, that means they they not happy. She not black, so she didn't know. Okay, so he says, Hollywood is a town that has some stars on the sidewalk. I don't know anybody from there. He added, I'm not a Hollywood folk. I don't know who they are. When black folks start saying folk, that's a that's sign too. Not happy. Leave black person alone. You about to get it. This is CNN's recount of, of what the, the back and forth is. So Couric tried to reframe the question a few times, including asking him, are you an actor who would rather not? But Washington cut her off. He says, no, I'm not that either. I am a human being. My job is acting. You asked him a stupid question. He didn't want to answer it. You tried to frame this man as some Hollywood Negro with all of the stereotypes that come with being a Hollywood Negro, which is out of touch with reality, not in touch with the black community. And he rebuffed you. Okay. You want to tell me that in all your journalistic experience over all these years, this is the one that you recall that made you uncomfortable? This? He didn't curse you out. He didn't call you out your name. He didn't get up and walk out the interview. Denzel telling you that he's not Hollywood. That made you uncomfortable? Sitting next to Predator ass Matt Lauer for 15 years, that didn't make you uncomfortable? That's some uncomfortable shit. Matt Lauer was infamously fired from the Today Show for... A multitude, a plethora of fucked up sexual behavior. This is according to Variety. Lewd sexual remarks from female colleagues whipping his dick out at work. He gave one female colleague a sex toy with, quote, an explicit note about how he wanted to use it on her. He would also reportedly quiz female producers about their sex lives and play, quote, a crass office-themed version of the game Fuck, Marry, or Kill. He reportedly had a button on his desk in his office that allowed him to lock the door. So he would have women come in his office and then lock the door on them so they couldn't get out. But a conversation with Denzel made you uncomfortable. Couric tried to clear up what she was saying about Denzel. She said, quote, I love him. I admire him so much. He's one of my favorite actors. And then she goes left again. It's like, compulsive she can't help herself she says but I remember walking out and feeling really kind of shaken that he had gone after me in a way that was completely weirdly uncalled for she chalked it up to Washington having a bad day and said later he wrote a generous check to the colon cancer foundation she founded so this man really didn't do anything to you He may or may not have realized in retrospect that you felt a way about it. He writes a big check to your colon cancer foundation. And then you turn around 16 years later and throw him under the bus, accusing him of making you uncomfortable. That's peak white womaning. You sound fucking nuts, lady. These Karens. And they mad they get called Karen. I saw this meme. Karen is worse than the N word. Girl, if you don't go somewhere with that shit, these Karens be trying it. 
I wish these white folks, instead of trying to blame black people for you made me uncomfortable. I wish you would just get to the heart of the matter. I'm not comfortable with your blackness. When black people assert autonomy, when they're not paying attention to me, when I'm not the center of their universe, when they're not genuflecting in my presence, I feel uncomfortable. Because that's really what that shit is. Uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable because a subject didn't want to answer your questions in a cheery ass way for a press junket. I also really appreciated Hip Hollywood. It's an online magazine coming to Denzel's rescue. They promptly posted a video interview of Denzel and Anton Fuqua. The journalist asked Denzel something about like Hollywood, something or another. As someone who's married in Hollywood, both of you, black men married to black women for a number of years in Hollywood. What is the secret to that long lasting marriage? See, people, first of all, they say in Hollywood, like that's a place. Mm. We're in the movie business Mm -hmm. and we live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But I'm not in Hollywood. I don't have anything. I don't know what that really means to be in Hollywood. I have a good job. I'm an ordinary guy with an extraordinary job. Mm -hmm. And I like to do a good job, what I'm doing, and pay the bills and take care of my family. But in Hollywood, there's no no place where Hollywood people, or maybe there is a place where Hollywood people meet, but I don't go there. They're not working. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're not working. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. The people in the movie business are busy working. People in Hollywood are busy. Hollywood, that's their job. See, it's not personal, Katie. The man don't like being called Hollywood. That's it. I'm uncomfortable. That ain't my black problem. That is a personal problem you need to deal with between you and your goddamn therapist. Go address your discomfort with yourself. Stop bringing it to black people's feet and doorsteps. We don't need to deal with your shit. People really got to watch what they say during this quarantine situation. If you are going to be putting out content, you may be mindful. A lot of people are watching. You can sink or you can swim. The other day, I tuned into... Robert Townsend has a new documentary called The Making of the Five Heartbeats. Every black person loves the five heartbeats, right? So he has a movie about the making of the five heartbeats. Fun fact, R. Kelly almost got cast in the five heartbeats. I think he was supposed to be cast as Eddie Kane, but Robert Townsend didn't know what to do with him. I only know this because Robert Townsend did a live with Eddie Kane, a.k.a. Leon, where he talked about R. Kelly being cast in the film, which could you imagine? We've already had to give up R. Kelly music because of his 30-year span of predatory behavior. Could you imagine if we had to give up the five heartbeats too because of R. Kelly? But Robert Townsend does this live and he's a man of a certain age. He's not really into the techie side of apps. He had a little trouble with his Instagram live. But it was not Teddy Riley type trouble. Like Robert Townsend was being a normal human sitting in his living room trying to figure out how to like punch Leon into the chat. That's all. But he was such an endearing human. Like I know nothing about Robert Townsend other than Hollywood Shuffle, Five Heartbeats. He had that sitcom Forever and a Day Ago. Parenthood. I remember him playing likable characters. I don't recall him having problematic moments. But just watching him fumble with his Instagram live, he was talking randomly about the five heartbeats, answering some questions from fans, saying hi back to people. He was just being himself. And I was like, oh my God, I love Robert Townsend. 
He's just a wonderful person. The Five Heartbeats and the making of the documentary about the Five Heartbeats are on some random subscription service that I've never heard of. It started by Bob Johnson. I can't remember the name of it for anything in the world right now. But like I went and signed up for it. It was 30 days free and I'm a cancel before the 30 days are up. But still, I've seen Five Heartbeats a million times. I could probably download it from some other place. But I was like, I just want to support Robert Townsend because he's so wonderful. And then Leon showed up. And Leon, I mean, he's 58. He's fine, fine. And has a great personality. I'm like, how can we not love you? You're amazing. Please cast this black man in something that goes on a big screen so that when movie theaters exist again, I can look up at him on the big screen and my lust can be outsized. Lovely human being. I wasn't really thinking about Leon, not because he didn't do anything wrong. I just haven't seen him lately, but he pops up on this live and he's a wonderful person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to see more Leon in my life. Babyface. We talked about him last week. Everyone on the internet is like, Babyface is a shady palm tree of a human, but he is hilarious. And Babyface now has quotables. So we went from thinking Babyface is an amazing producer, an amazing songwriter, an amazing performer. And now we're like, oh my God, we really just like Babyface. He's a great person and a good sense of decor. If you paid attention to his second chat with Teddy Riley, Babyface had his two Grammys in the background. He has some, was it some roses, some gardenias? There was some sort of floral arrangement. And then he had a whole bunch of candles lit and he came in his smoking jacket. A classy, sexy man, 62, got folks calling him baby face. Sir, classic example of expanding your brand in the middle of quarantine. All these people sitting at home, bored out of their minds, watching you, watching your every move. Now, all of a sudden, everybody loves baby face. I didn't do beach body today. I walked around the neighborhood for 30 minutes, out of hills in my parents' neighborhood. I listened to baby face. I made a whole baby face playlist after the second battle with him and Teddy Riley. So it's not just good branding and good feelings. The man is making money. I know I'm not the only one who's streaming babyface music. I've also been walking around all day feeling very loving and cuddly, which I'm like, ain't nobody to love on and cuddle in quarantine. That's the problem. I feel a way about it. Teddy Riley. Teddy Riley has made a good 30 years or more of excellent music. I think his branding might have taken a hit. With his extraness from the babyface battle, a lot of people love the music. His disposition was not as great as his music. I'm just saying. Folks who go live during these times, you may not have an audience of 400,000 or, or a million or more in the case of maybe a D-Nice, another great example. D-Nice went into this quarantine period with around 200,000 followers on Instagram. The last time I went to his page to go to what y'all call Club Quarantine, I just put the music on and listened to it like it's the radio with no commercials to each their own. But he had over 2 million followers. This is a great time to make a brand. It can also be a time to break one if you don't play your cards right. Speaking of branding, not that she needs any more branding, but Oprah is going to be doing a national commencement For the class of 2020. If you've listened to this podcast with any regularity, you know that I feel really, really terrible for the seniors for the class of 2020. 
whether it's a high school graduation or a college graduation, it's something that you dream of from your freshman year. You want the prom, you want the class trip, you want all of the fanfare and festivities that come with being a graduating senior and moving on to the next phase of your life. But with so many high schools canceled and so many colleges even canceled, it's been really, really hard on the seniors. So I see a lot of people going out of their way to support the seniors. I know there was initially a call for President Obama to do the commencement, which I was really, really excited about and hoping he would say yes to. Oprah has answered the call, which I'm good with, no complaints. Still, if Father Barack would like to say a few words, I'm always happy to hear them. But Oprah's great. Oprah has lived and Oprah is successful and Oprah has amazing insight about life that I think will be beneficial, not just to the graduates, because I ain't graduating from shit, but I'll be tuning in because I want to hear Oprah's message about moving into the next phase of your life. So I'm excited about that. What else is going on? I was driving back from Target the other day. I was listening to the radio and there was a gossip segment. Jermaine Dupree had done a podcast interview and he talked about his relationship with Janet Jackson. They were together for eight or nine years. And that's literally what Jermaine Dupree said. He was like, yeah, we're together for eight or nine years. The interviewer asked him, they were like, well, you know, you guys didn't get married despite this very lengthy relationship. And Jermaine Dupree says, he was like, you know, I I really felt like we were married, but, you know, we never lived together. The radio announcer who was reporting on this interview thought it was so weird that they never got married. And Jermaine was like, well, I lived in Atlanta and she lived in L.A. and she couldn't see herself moving. And he was like, you know, she would come for like two weeks at a time. She'd be there all the time, but she couldn't see herself moving. So... You know, that was that. Like, we saw each other as often as possible, but, you know. So she was like, really? Like, they were together for eight or nine years and they didn't live together? And she was really confused. And I was like, is that confusing? I don't know. It's not strange to me when people who are not married don't live together. Like, she didn't want to move. He didn't want to move. They got enough money and enough access to private jets and first-class flights that I feel like that's an easy arrangement to have. I feel like people who say like, oh, my God, they didn't live together. I feel like that's only said by people who never lived with anyone. It can have its joys. It can also be a complete pain in the ass, like having a little mystery where you don't have to see people on a regular basis and do the mundane things that it takes to operate a household. It can take a little sexy out of it sometimes. I totally get why it works. Like part of the reason they stayed together for eight or nine years was probably because they didn't live together. Hmm. I just thought that was really weird. But I'm also one of those people that reads stories about married couples who like live in the same city or actually live in opposite sides of the country and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I remember there was an episode of Being Mary Jane forever and a day ago. She was dating the guy who was Shaza on A Different World. Gary, is that his name? I don't remember his last name. He lived in a big fancy house and he and MJ were discussing future life plans. And he was like, yeah, I kind of figured that, you know, I could live here and you could live over there. And and she was like, what? 
No, I'm not trying to do that. Like I'm 40 years old. I'm not trying to have no fundamental shifts. I specifically remember that term, fundamental shift. And I was like, really? That doesn't sound like a bad arrangement. There's a lot to be said for having your own space. I know a lot of people are are single and quarantined right now. This woman reached out to me last week, and I don't want to call her name, but shout out. She knows who she is, but she DM'd me. The podcast didn't go up on time last week, and and someday I will tell you behind the scenes story of why it was. It whoo. I have become known as a woman who is friendly to the stories of other women. I'm also a life coach, which I think a lot of people know, even though I don't coach very often. I still coach sometimes, but I don't do it very often. I was thinking about starting it up again, specifically as a breakup and divorce coach. Because when I was going through my divorce, it was very difficult for me to find people to talk to and resources about the process of divorce and then moving through the emotional pathways of divorce. I've been thinking a lot about my purpose. I do a lot of things and a lot of things that I enjoy, but I'm not always sure that it is my purpose-driven thing. I say that to say, I get occasional calls from various people and they usually don't call me until they're in deep distress. So last week when I was recording the podcast, um, that was one of those calls. That's a sidebar. That's another story. So this woman reached out to me and she was like, hey, I'm quarantining alone. It's really difficult for me some days. And I really look forward to your podcast because it's helping me get through my quarantine time. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like the sweetest thing. And it really made me look at this podcast much differently. Like, I do this podcast because I love doing it. It's fun to me. Sometimes it can be a laborious process, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. But I didn't realize until that woman wrote in that the podcast is like someone promises they're going to call every Thursday. And when they call every Thursday at the appointed time that they say they're going to call, all is right with the world. But then when they don't call, it's like they've made a promise And then you defaulted. They feel away. I remember maybe like a couple months ago, this woman left me this really nasty message. I hadn't posted in three weeks. I think I was in the middle of screenwriting school. I was just really overwhelmed with some projects that I was working on. But she left me this really nasty message about my podcast. And basically, like, she listened to all the podcasts. She binged them. And then I'd stop posting. And I wasn't shit. And I was an awful person and all this. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? I think I actually talked about this on the podcast. But then after this woman wrote in and she was like, hey, is the podcast coming? Because, you know, I'm looking forward to it because of these reasons. I was like, oh, I had promised that I was going to call this woman. I did not call her for three weeks. I didn't apologize. And she felt stood up. Hence why she cursed me the fuck out. She's not the kind of girl that I can let down and think that everything is okay. Can I tell you, I've been quoting Superwoman ever since Babyface played it on the versus battle. I will find a way to sneak in that line from Karen White every possible time I can. And I was talking to a friend about it online and she was like, why were we like seven years old singing Superwoman like we had been married for 30 years to a man who treated us like shit? 
And I was like, I'm not really sure, but I actually do like the idea of a generation of young girls being indoctrinated with the idea that I'm not the kind of girl that you can let down and think that everything is okay. Karen White might have taught some of us standards. But anyway, I understand now why that woman was like so upset. I still think she's fucking crazy for leaving that message, but I understand why she was upset. So my bad. I didn't get it until the woman wrote me the email and I was like, oh shit, I have to be mindful about whatever else is going on in my life, including people's phone calls to be like, hey, this is something that is a priority in my life. It matters to others and I must get it up on time as promised. I'll hit you later. You know what we didn't talk about yet? The global pandemic. And I don't want to talk about it in detail. I didn't watch the news today. I just, some days I do, some days I don't. I went through a phase where I didn't. And then I went through a phase where I I tuned in. And then today I just, I was like, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like dealing with a global pandemic. I just want to pretend that I've taken a walk around my neighborhood and I've worked on my podcast. And the reason I am not leaving the house is because I have to work. Not because there is a potentially deadly virus raging through the world. But since the last time we spoke, the president suggested, questioned, implied, doctors may consider injecting disinfectant into people to see if they can cure the coronavirus. And then the following day, Lysol and Dettol had to release statements saying, hey, we are household cleaning supplies. We are not for injection or internal use. Thank you. Then the president, who said this shit at a press conference with tons of videos rolling, was like, I ain't say that shit. Mm -mm, No. The other big news story is Mike Pence went to visit the Mayo Clinic and refused to wear a mask. They told him in advance, they were like, hey, you got to wear a mask. And then when they got there, they were like, hey, we have masks. And he refused to wear one. He's standing in a photo. He ain't got on no mask. Everybody else in the picture, it's like 10 other people. They all got on masks. So he just sitting there looking like a dumbass. I'm like, you're the head of the coronavirus task force. Your task force, because of the doctors on it, have recommended to Americans that they wear masks and face coverings When they leave the house, there are all these little graphics circulating around social media that show like if one person has a mask and the other person doesn't, then this is the rate of transmission. If neither person has a mask, this is the rate of transmission. When a carrier and a non-carrier come into contact and both of those people have on masks, the rate of transmission is like 1.5%. And you just refuse to be a leader. You refuse to lead by example and put on a mask. I don't know if he thinks it makes him look less manly to wear a mask. If he thinks that people will think the the disease is more serious than it is if he wears a mask, which newsflash, 59,000 people are dead from coronavirus. I think most people know that it's serious. More people have died from the coronavirus than Vietnam. How many years was the Vietnam War? The coronavirus killed that many people in 
Three months? It's serious. We're aware. Put on your goddamn mask. Pence was like, I went to Mayo Clinic and I wanted to see people and I was feeling healthy. I didn't wear a mask because I wanted to look people in the eye. Mike Pence, I'm not sure what kind of mask you've seen other people wearing. I have a mask. When I go in public, I see other people with masks. Do you know that their masks don't cover their eyes? That you can look people in the eye with a mask on? Did you know that, Mike Pence? I just... I was going to say I don't understand the leadership in this country, but what I don't understand is the lack of leadership in this country. Being a leader is hard. Being a leader is annoying. Being a leader means you got to do shit that you don't feel like doing. I get it. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. But if you don't want to wear the crown, then step your ass down. Let someone who actually wants to lead, who is capable of leading, and not just do as I say, but do as I do, who will do something basic, like wear a mask. I'm on the other side of earth from my home, paying rent on a place I haven't seen in almost two months. Good rent. What good USD legal tender that could be going towards other things. Usually it would have been travel, but I can't go nowhere. I can't even go home because it's not safe to get on a flight. Americans are making all manner of sacrifices. A lot of folks ain't had a regular paycheck and God knows when. One of my really close friends just called me. She lives in New York. She's a single lady. She pays rent on a really pretty place. She was like, I just got laid off. Something like 27, 29 million people have filed for unemployment in the past month. All these people making sacrifices for the greater good to stop this disease, to flatten the curve. Walking around in a mask is annoying. That ish is hot. I went to Target. I don't know what I had to eat that day. I put on my mask. I took it with me in the car and I didn't put it on until I got to the Target parking lot. My breath was hot. I was embarrassed to be outside with that breath. And then I was like, well, thank God I have a mask so nobody else can smell my horrible ass breath. But then I had to smell it. And I was like, this is torture. And then it was kind of like a warm day. I got real comfortable in California, y'all. Like, they ain't got humidity. The twist out will last for like a week and change. I've gone 10 days on the same twist out in California. When I need to fluff up my hair, I literally have to untwist my hair, go to the gym and work out to make it fluff. That's crazy. But it was humid. And I had on this damn mask. And my whole face was hot. I had my own hot stank breath in my face. We are all out here making sacrifices, financial sacrifices, liberty sacrifices. And your jackass can't even wear a mask when you go to a hospital. Talking about I get tested weekly, sir. And that's not even what I want to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is a woman that I call Dr. Hermes. I refer to her as Dr. Hermes because she wears a scarf every single day. I really want to see her scarf collection. She got to have like a good hundred scarves. I don't know that she's worn the same scarf twice. The other day at the press conference, Trump says, maybe we could treat coronavirus with sunlight. 
or maybe we could put ultralight beams. That's me joking. He actually said, maybe we can use UV light inside people to kill the virus. And then he talks about injecting people with bleach. And Dr. Bricks, Dr. Hermes, is caught on a B-roll camera having a reaction. And when I wrote about it on social media, I was like, she looks like she's rethinking all the lefts that she made in life to lead her to this fucked up place where she's sitting on the sidelines listening to an orange man suggest before the American public that injecting disinfectant into the body is a good idea. This is one of those fundamental things that every parent tells their kid and somewhere around three at the latest five children know disinfectant, injecting, digesting, eating, licking, drinking, bad for me, will die, poisonous, skeleton face. But somehow the president of the United States has made it well into his 70s and thinks that this is a reasonable suggestion. And then mofos actually went and tried it. Governor Hogan from Maryland was like, yeah, since you said that, we've been getting a suspicious number of calls about people who want to know if taking bleach is an effective cure, prevention method for coronavirus. No, no, it is not. And they asked the president, they said, president, do you take responsibility for the people who have gone and done this? And he was like, no, mm -mm, I do do not. mm -mm." So Dr. Hermes sits on the sidelines and she looks like she wants to That meme with Homer fading into the bushes, she looks like she wants to do that. It made me think about how so many women have met their downfall caping for fucked up men. After that Trump press conference, she did a round of interviews and she tried to justify the president considering whether Injecting disinfectant was a good idea. And she's like, yeah, you know, he hears things and he likes to think them through. And I'm like, you're a medical doctor. Just say the shit was stupid. I mean, find a diplomatic way to say it, but you're trying to clean him up. Please don't try this at home, people. That's all she had to say. But she's like, oh, you know, sometimes he considers and and la la la. I was trying to rock with this. Like, I was like, you know what? We need you in the room. She knows this mofo is crazy. She also knows that if he does the crazy that he does with her in the room, what would he do if she weren't there? She may feel that she is the last line of defense between the crazy shit that's currently happening and the complete anarchy that would happen if she wasn't in the room. I wholeheartedly believe that she was the one who was like, you got to say something about this crazy man opening up the salons in Georgia. Now, he went and chose to do it anyway, but Trump threw that man right under the bus. But right before Georgia was supposed to open, Georgia governor. So my thought was maybe she thinks I need to be here. I am doing the Lord's work. I need to stop him to save the republic. I was trying to work with her. And then she goes and does this. Well, you know, he's trying to think things through. He's trying to reason. He's trying to, man, by not calling a thing a thing, you're co-signing crazy. And you're making yourself look crazy. 
By all accounts, this woman is a respected physician. She knows what she's talking about. But then she's out here trying to rationalize injecting disinfectant. Where do you go from there? I'm like, ma'am, you might as well step down now. You've lost your credibility. Retire. Call it a wrap. It's been a good life. Yeah. Women always take an L when they try to defend men and their dumb shit. Same thing's about to happen. Stacey Abrams. We talked last week about how Stacey Abrams is very much so interested in being the vice president. She is publicly campaigning for the job very hard. She was interviewed by Elle. I think I read you the quote last week, but they asked her, they said, well, you know, why would you make a good VP? And she had her elevator pitch ready. And she was like, I'm here. I'm ready to serve. And here are my qualifications. And I can, you know, bring people to the table. I can excite the base. Like I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Okay. I'm not mad at her. You got to ask for what you want in this life. You know me. I'm like, closed mouth. Don't get fed. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Last night I'm sitting up, I'm watching CNN. Stacy is on. She's being interviewed by Don Lemon. I don't remember what the first part of the conversation was. I was half sleep, half watching CNN, and then also watching, what's this this Netflix show, Money Heist? Everyone told me, D, you got to watch Money Heist. It's so good. It's so good. So I started watching Money Heist. Exactly what it sounds like. It's a group of criminals are doing a bank heist. I've watched a million heist movies. I actually really, really like heist movies. Like, I love Heat. I love Ocean's Eleven. I love Set It Off. Like, I love to see people rob shit. The formula for people robbing shit is they come up with the plan. They set the plan in motion. 50 million things go wrong while the plan is in motion. Then they try to get out of the place that they've done the heist. And then they have to escape from there. This is what all heist shows, all heist movies revolve around. So I was like, okay, money heist. So it starts off good. They're planning. They set the plan in motion. They get into the bank and then everything starts to go haywire. Y'all, it was 13 episodes in season one. I'm midway through season two. You know, these mofos is still in the bank. They've been in that bank since episode one. I have watched like 16 hours of television of mofos in the same damn setting. I posted on Instagram. I was like, they got to get out this fucking bank. I can't continue to watch this show if they don't get out this bank. But I was about to tap out on Money Heist. And then people were like, no, no, it gets good. Trust me. They get out the bank. And I was like, but when? When? When do they get out of the bank? I'm tired of looking at these people in this goddamn bank. So I'm watching Don Lemon. I'm watching Money Heist. And I'm halfway falling asleep. And Don Lemon asked Stacey Abrams this question. What about these allegations about Joe Biden and sexual assault. And she says, quote, I'm going to read this to you. She says, I believe that women deserve to be heard and I believe they need to be listened to. But I also believe that these allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. The woman who is accusing Joe Biden, her name is Tara Reid. And actually... That New York Times article does not make a determination on whether Reed's allegations against Biden were credible. To be fair, his spokespeople have denied it on multiple occasions, but I have not seen him actually say anything about it. So these allegations are a little different, to put it mildly, 
from the other allegations that have come up against Joe Biden. Previously, the wrongdoing when it comes to women that he's been accused of have been of the touchy-handsy variety. The cut did a roundup of the accusations against him, and it was about seven or eight women who said things like, he rubbed my hair or he put his forehead against mine. We rubbed noses. He kissed me on the cheek. He put a hand on my thigh. Uncomfortable, not acceptable, not okay, but far from assault. This latest allegation from Tara Reid allegedly happened in 1993. She says she was working as an aide in Biden's Senate office. She was asked to deliver a duffel bag to him. In a corridor somewhere in the Capitol Hill complex, Reed says Biden had me up against the wall. He used his knee to spread open my legs and put his fingers inside me. She said when he pulled away, Biden said to her, come on, man, I thought you liked me. She says he looked angry. She also says he said, you are nothing to me. You are nothing. She said that Biden eventually took her by the shoulders and said words to the effect of, you're okay, you're fine, before walking away. Abrams, no doubt, has read or heard Reed's account. She shared it on a podcast. She concluded her statement to Don Lemon. She said, I know Joe Biden, and I think he's telling the truth, and that this did not happen. This sucks. We have a president in office who is on tape. You know, he's got 50 million accusations against him for things he did with women or girls. Because one of the accusations against him is a woman who's in her mid-40s that says he allegedly raped her when she was a 13-year-old girl. When he was hanging around with Epstein. He's on tape talking about grabbing women by the hoo-ha, which is nothing short of assault. So him being a predator is not in question. If you've watched the the daily press briefings for more than a week at a time, you can tell he's not so fond of women. So that is who the Republicans are, are running for president since he's already in office. So now you've got Biden, who's been accused by multiple women of handsy, touchy, inappropriate behavior. Which, to be fair, many of the women say that they didn't feel like it was sexual in nature. They just, you know, felt uncomfortable, a little icky. And then now you've got this new allegation, which, you know, it's from 1994. It hasn't really been investigated. So you don't know if this is someone just making some shit up or this actually happened. And for whatever reason, she didn't come forward with the full story. I think she told some of it before and then she told more later. I hate that that these are the options. For president. I'm like, so you have one person who's confirmed a sexual assault versus another person who's accused of sexual assault, but is also known to be handsy and touchy feely. I'm like, what do you do with that? Like, as a woman voter, that doesn't make me feel good. This was better than any of the women because none of them were accused of sexual assault. But I hate that Stacey Abrams, in her willingness to be the VP pick, She wants the job. She's vocal about the job. Nothing wrong with that. But in her willingness to be seen, to be heard, to be seen as qualified for the job, she just out here caping for anything. I'm like, sis, 
You got to know like I do. You can't be out here being like what men won't do because men do crazy shit. I know Joe Biden. He would never do that. You know the Joe Biden who he presents himself to be to you. I really don't understand how as a black woman you feel comfortable caping for what a man, a white man, who's been known to be handy, did or didn't do. And will put your reputation on the line to defend him without even the job in hand. Because you're going to be the one left out there looking nuts if God forbid, and not just because of the presidential aspect, but God forbid this woman's story turns out to be true. And I say God forbid because of the harm that would have been done to that woman. But God forbid her story turns out to be true. You out here caping for a mofo. They going to excuse his shit because they always excuse what men do. You going to be the one left holding the bag. And you might not even get picked for vice president, sis. That's going to look crazy for your political future. Currently, Stacey Abrams is unblemished. She ran for governor in Georgia. Outside of Georgia, people didn't know who she was. You made it close to becoming the governor. It got stolen from you by most accounts. People acknowledge that now. They also acknowledge that the man who won, Kemp, is a fucking idiot and you should have won. Okay. You flipped that into becoming a national name. Because you're smart and you're good. You're strategic. People like you. And you're about to fuck that up. Caping for this man saying, I know him. He wouldn't do that. You don't know that man. And you don't know what he would do. I know you want the job. I know you do. And you're qualified. And you would be good at it. You're a smart woman. You could get us out of this mess. I trust you to do that. What I don't want for you is to be out here with all of your smarts and all of your talent and all of your savvy fucking it up on this dude god forbid it turns out you out here caping and looking crazy defending him and he goes and picks somebody else for vp whenever you run for your next office women are going to remember that that you didn't support another woman don't do that to yourself sister stacy i say that with love because i want the best for you because i think you're bright and i think you're smart and i think you're intelligent and i want you to win But don't be out here compromising yourself, caping for this white man who would not do the same for you. We were talking about the sexual assault on my Facebook page. And, you know, anytime you talk about men and women and accusations of assault, alleged assault, the conversation always becomes very prickly. In general, Half the women tend to believe the woman. The other half of the women are like, yeah, I don't know. Men always defend the man. A hundred women said it. Don't care. Why didn't they say it at the time? Went to the police. Oh, they didn't want to press charges. So it must not have been important. Men will find every excuse in the book to defend another man. When we have these conversations, guys will often be like, well, you know, due process and innocent until proven guilty. And I always wonder, like, where do black men suddenly find so much faith in the justice system when it comes to sexual assault? Because they're very due process and innocent until proven guilty when it comes to a woman accusing a man of something. But whenever it's like a black man accusing a white person, especially a white police officer, I have just never once heard a black man say, well, you know, we got to hear both sides and due process and innocent until proven guilty. They never say that about the white police officer. I've never heard that. Not once. I've heard white people say it. 
That was white people's go-to for George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. They were like, oh, well, due process and, you know, both sides and innocent until proven guilty. And, well, what did he do to cause? I'm like, do black men not realize that they make the exact same argument about women that white people make about them? I pointed this out like a million times and black men never seem to get it. They call me bitter and they call me man-hating and you must only date weak and beta men. And I'm like, y'all say that. Every time y'all don't want to take accountability for some shit, always deflecting men with mothers and sisters and wives and daughters don't want to have a conversation about sexual assault. Just vote blue and shut the fuck up. No, that's not an option. So that is this week's podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back next week with another episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Please subscribe. And if in between episodes you need a little Ratchet and Respectable in your life, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm using all three these days at Demetria L. Lucas. You can also follow me on my site, DemetriaLLucas.com. We will talk soon next week. Okay. Bye.